worthy to be praised. I don't know what condition you walked up in here in today. I don't know what's been going on this week. Even though it's only March, I don't know what you've been going through this year already. But I, I looked to the text of Scripture and it re- reminded me that when David was at his lowest one time, that the text says, and he strengthened himself in the Lord. And one way that you strengthen yourself in the Lord is through your worship, through your ability to open up your mouth and say, thank you, Lord. The, the, the ability and the opportunity to open up your mouth and just to say, hallelujah, oh God. And it's a, your opportunity and ability to open up your mouth and to give him praise because just as we just sung, he is worthy of our, oh, I wish I had somebody who knew that God was worthy. I wish I, wish I had somebody that just, that just knew that God did something for him on last week. I wish somebody knew that God has been watching over you. He's been keeping you from danger seen and unseen. You are worthy to be praised. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand and clap of praise for his faithfulness and his kindness towards us. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Forest Baptist. It is so good to be with you. And uh, on Sunday mornings, when I have the privilege and opportunity to be before you, um, I do take it as an extraordinary privilege. Not just because I have the opportunity to preach God's word, but because I have the opportunity and privilege to be with the saints one more Sunday. I don't know about you, but I need Sunday morning. I don't know about you, but these weeks don't just go by easy. And Satan is relentless. And he doesn't give up, but he, he keeps coming at you, coming at you, coming at you. And sometimes I just like to get around other folk, other saved folk who just happy that the Lord has done something in their life. Happy to be in the house of the Lord one more time. Happy to sing and shout the victory over the songs of praise. Sometimes I, I, I'm just glad to be in the house of the Lord. I need Sunday mornings. So it's not just a privilege to preach God's word, but it's a privilege to be in, in the midst one more time. Way well, amen. We're on this morning. Please turn with me and uh, God's word to the gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter. The Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter, and as you do, I'd just like to say welcome to this church gathered at Forest Baptist. It's good to see you. Uh, my prayer is that the Lord will continue to do marvelous and wonderful things in your life, uh, and that we will see the glory of Christ through his preached word this morning. So this morning, we are in the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter, as we continue in our series, The King Has Come. And we'll be looking at verses 19 through 34. If you are able, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses 19 through 34. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Read that one more time. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The subject of this morning's text is the, the king's cure for anxiety. The king's cure for anxiety. Why don't you pray with me this morning? Gracious and eternal Father, we do honor you by beholding your glory, acknowledging your power, your presence, your protection, your provision. Thank you, O oh God, for sending forth Jesus Christ, that we may have the forgiveness of sin and, and to be reconciled to you. And thank you for your Holy Spirit, which draws us to you and reminds us of what thus saith the Lord. And gives us strength to, to follow you and obey you day after day after day. And Father, as we have gathered one more time in your house of, of worship, may you please prompt your Holy Spirit in a fresh and new way. May we never be too uh, sophisticated to appreciate what you have done. May we not, never uh, lack gratitude because we've just become so accustomed to your goodness. But Father, upon today, I ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I just ask right now that you would tear down and cast down any sense of anxiety that we have in our hearts right now, dear God. We have very many issues of life, but Lord, you are still in charge. You are still the great sovereign who is able to keep us and to protect us, oh God. So Father, right now, I ask that you would... Uh, Reveal to us the knowledge of your will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we would walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called and help us to be faithful unto you, O God. And Father, may you take my weak words and my, my weak mind and my weak frame and use them for your glory and for your honor to proclaim the glories of Christ Jesus, that you uh, will fulfill your promise that if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I would draw men, women, boys, and girls unto me. Father, may you draw one to you right now. Whatever issues of life plague us, dear God, please set the captives free through the power of your word. Please sanctify us in truth, for your word is truth. So, Father, I ask that you would just have your way. Thank you for being so marvelous, so mighty, so majestic, and so good. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. You know, it's been said time and time and time and time and time again. There are two certain things that, that are certain in this life. You already know them. There are two things that are certain in this life. What do we say? Death and taxes. As, long, as certain as you live, the Bible tells us that it's appointed unto man to die once and then the judgment. Because sin has entered into this creation, death has entered in, and there will be a day where, where we will stand before the judgment seat of God. 
We will see him face to face and we will be judged based upon whether or not we have received Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We will die one day. Uh, but just as certain as death is in this world, we all have our way of paying taxes some way, somehow. Whether it's on your tax return, whether it's that, that, that soda you bought at the store, whether it's those groceries, whether, whether or not it's those shoes, those clothes, that car, whether or not it was, it was those, those grown folks who got birthdays in the month of March, you're going to be paying your property taxes on your vehicle registration. You're you going to pay your taxes some way, somehow. So as sure as life is, there's the certainty of death and taxes. But I just want to add to that list one more thing this morning. As certain as there is death and taxes, as, uh, we can know for sure that we will have worry someday. We will worry about something at some time in some way. One of the the common threads of our humanity is the fact that at some point in your life, you're going to worry about something. No one escapes worry. It, again, because we live in a fallen world, you will experience trouble. And that trouble leads to worry. You worry about your family. Will my child be safe going to school? Will they be able to get a decent job? Will this relationship ever work? Will we be able to take care of our needs? Will, uh, uh, will, will I, I be able to do something with my life? You, we, we worry about our family. We're worried about our schools. You worry about whether that bully is coming up to you to say anything. You worry about what you're going to have for lunch that day. You, you worry about that field trip. You worry about your job. Whether or not you're going to get caught showing up late because you've been late all week. Whether or not your, your boss will uh, give you that promotion or that raise. Whether or not you have enough money to take care of your family. You worry about your neighborhood. Whether you're in a safe part of town or not. Whether uh, your neighbor's going to cut their grass like they're supposed to or not. Whether they're going to clean up or not. You worry about those things. You worry about the country. We have an election getting ready coming up, and, and you're worried about who's going to be in the Oval Office this time around. You may worry about your health, whether or not that, uh, that you have the flu, whether the coronavirus is coming to your door, whether or not the cancer comes back, whether or not this headache is something more, but you worry about your health. You're worrying about your bills. You're worrying about whether you're going to have enough money to put food in your refrigerator. You're worried if you got enough money to, to pay LG&E, to pay Verizon, to pay Sprint, to pay uh, all of those bills that come through your door. You worry about your future. You worry about, will I uh, be able to, uh, to retire at the age I want to retire? Will I be able to get married? Will I stay married? Will I be able to finish this degree? Will I be able to do all of these things? We worry about so many things in life. I call these the, the, the what ifs and the how wills that we worry about in life. But you know what? This is not something foreign to Scripture because Jesus says himself in John, the 16th chapter and the 33rd verse, in this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus was letting us know it's going to be issues. There's going to be problems. There ain't no getting away around it. If you just trying to live life, trying to be comfortable, I got I got news for you. This life ain't about being comfortable. Some days you just try to survive. You talk to you talking to one another and you say, how you doing? And he's like, I'm just hanging on. You just barely hanging in. So the question is not if trouble will come your way, but when trouble comes your way. When it feels like the weight of this world is resting on your shoulders, it's easy to give in to fear, to doubt, and to worry. So with that said, how should a Christian respond to the troubles in this world? The big idea in this text we have before us, the Christian's cause for worry is cured in the centrality of Christ. How do we stand up in the midst of worry, chaos, and confusion? And beloved, I submit to you the only way that we stand is if Jesus is the center of our life. 
The cure for life's worries is not go on a vacation. You just need a break. Maybe you need a nap. Maybe you should talk to somebody. But before you do anything else, the only the the, the primary way that we are uh, to cure anxiety's challenges is the centrality of Jesus Christ in our lives. The cure for life's worries is found in the king who has a kingdom and who invites you to come and trust in him. This is what the whole gospel of Matthew is about, that the king has come. And because Jesus has come, he has come to flip the script on uh, and give us this paradox where we have existed thinking that things should be our way. But Jesus is saying, no, they need to be my way. And that is the central truth found in the Sermon on the Mount. He is walking his disciples through what it really means to be a Christian. And here to, to be a Christian means that you trust in God. That in spite of situations and circumstances, though I may going through, I'm still going to trust in God. If we was to nuance some of what we're going to hear, it's, 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 I'm not, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying that all you got to do is believe in Jesus and everything is going to be all right. I'm not preaching no prosperity gospel because Jesus just said in your life there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be disease. There's going to be problems. But what I'm saying is the, the way that you stand in the middle of a hurricane is upon the solid rock, and his name is Jesus. When it comes to the anxiety in our lives, we must approach it with a sense of wholeness. We want to approach the... Uh, these feelings that we have of anxiety with both mind, body, and soul. It's not one or the other. But, but the question is, if you're, if you're working for wholeness, do you take care of your mind first? Do you take care of your body first? Or do you take care of your soul first? And I submit to you, beloved, the reason why we have so many issues that we do, not that issues don't come, but a lot of times we don't take care of our soul first. We expect everything to be okay around us, even though we have not settled ourselves in the Lord. Here in the text, Jesus, he's been warning his disciples of the danger of seeking to satisfy yourself and what it leads to. He, he's been talking about Christian piety and how uh, every Christian should, should give and they Every Christian should pray and every Christian should fast. But when you do those things, do them for God himself, not for the acknowledgement, not to show off your glory, but, but, but because you are in uh, a, a genuine love affair with Jesus. And it's reminding us that if you are doing righteous things for the wrong reasons, you get your reward when somebody just pats you on the back and say, good job. Jesus is helping his disciples and those that, that, are, that are listening that, that when, when you are seeking to reward yourself, you will never be satisfied. So Jesus, he concludes this, this thought of not being satisfied in yourself by showing his disciples the anxieties of life are caused by self-centered living. The anxieties of life are caused by self-centered living living. Notice the therefore in verse 25. See, when I was studying the text, it's easy to look at these different paragraphs and think that Jesus, he just kind of all over the place. Like, Jesus, what do you mean? Why, why do you go from treasure to your, a lamp, your eye? Why are you talking about eyes? Why are you talking about money? It, why are you talking about being anxious? But notice in verse 25, Jesus says, therefore, that therefore connects all of the thought before that, and he just finishes with that paragraph. So before that, what is Jesus talking about in, the, in, in verses 19 through 24? In verses 19 through 24, we see self-centered living in a misplaced treasure, a misplaced focus, and a misplaced devotion. Jesus is, he's, he's using this, these paragraphs almost like many parables. And Jesus, he always taught through parables, these, these earthly, this earthly wisdom that reveals a divine truth. And this is what Jesus is doing. He has three examples of what it looks like to have this misplaced affection and why uh, anxiety uh, overwhelms the people such. 
looking at verses 19, 19 through 21, that he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These verses serve a dual role and they actually finish up Jesus's thought on Christian piety, but also kicks off this parable of, of, of what it means to truly have Jesus as the center. And, and he begins by laying out these, these, these earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. And Jesus is saying, ultimately, you have a choice. You can either choose to live for yourself by gaining these earthly treasures and storing things up into your own barn by doing things just to satisfy yourself, or you have the choice to live for me, and now the very reward that you are, will receive for living for me, they're going to be stacked up in heaven where, where moth and rust does not destroy and thieves do not come in and steal. What Jesus is saying is that when you're living for yourself, doing what you want to do, how you want to do it for your own reward, those things are temporary. That's why he talks about where the thieves break in and steal or, or the, the, moth, the moths come in or uh, how, how, how things just wilt and fall. Jesus is saying when you live for yourself, that's just temporary. Because living for yourself is all about you and you temporary. Jesus is saying the reason why you are anxious because you've misplaced your treasure. You're worried more about things on earth than things in heaven. But then secondly, he moves from a misplaced treasure to a misplaced focus. Look, verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? So in ancient Near Eastern times, for it would be nothing to hear a, 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 a religious leader talking about the eye. And, 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 but when they're talking about that eye, they're talking about the, the same place as your heart, the center of your will, the place where you are making decisions, the place where you are pursuing uh, the things that you want. And what he's saying, he's saying that when, when you, your focus, when your heart's focus is on uh, the things of this world, things that don't, that don't profit any or things that are no benefit for uh, eternal rewards, when you're thinking about what other folks are doing, let me put it like that. When you're worried about what folks are saying about you, when you're worried about having your name in life, when you're worried about having the next viral uh, tweet or, or post, when, you, when you're worried about the earthly things, then your, your, your heart or your eye is full of darkness. It's not healthy. But if you are focusing on things of God, uh, my desires and my will and my righteousness, he says your, your eye or your heart is filled with light. But, but notice what happens. If you're not looking at the light, you're looking at darkness. You got one or two choices. Either you have a healthy eye or you got a bad eye. And Jesus is saying you got a choice. Just like you got the choice of heavenly treasure or earthly treasure, you have the choice to have a healthy eye or a bad eye. Jesus, uh, this is fur further elaborated by the Apostle Paul when he says things like Colossians 3 and 2. Set your minds on things above not on things that are on earth. Stop worried about everything going on around you. Stop worried about what they got and what you ain't got. Stop, stop worrying about what they say and what they don't say. Philippians 4 and 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Beloved, I don't, I don't have to I don't have to explain to you much, but where your focus is, so your heart goes to. If your entire focus is on what you got, if your, if your entire focus on, is on pleasing myself, doing what I want to do, Jesus is saying that your heart will be bad. And, he say, and what does he say about the darkness? He says, and how great is the darkness. Jesus is warning about a misplaced treasure. He's, 
he's war- war- uh, warning about this misplaced focus, this choice between a healthy eye and a bad eye. But then thirdly, Jesus, he's, he's warning about a misplaced devotion. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In your text, it may say mammon. Mammon, this is a Semitic word for money or possessions or wealth. It's often translated as money. But what Jesus is saying is the reason why you got anxiety is because uh, you're choosing the wrong thing. You have a choice between God or money. You, you, you have a choice between who is going to be your provider. Will money, will wealth be your provider or will Jehovah Jireh be your provider? He's saying you, you make the choice. See, but, but, but when you choose to, to make yourself your own provider, then you got to worry about when the next check coming. You think you living uh, check by check right now. Try living an entire life dependent upon your own righteousness in order to get into glory. And he's saying that you will always be anxious when you're trying to make it happen. You have the choice between the creator or the creature. Because you can't serve two masters. You can't, you can't say you love God but chase money all the time. You, you can't say you love God, but you, you keep chasing those jobs that take you away from God. You keep chasing those relationships that take you away from God. But I love God. But you're ne- nowhere near God. You have a choice. Jesus is laying out this, this misplaced treasure, this misplaced focus, and this, this misplaced devotion. And, and what that reveals is the duplicitous choices of our hearts. Let me just let you know, as human beings, we really don't know what we really want. We're so fickle. It depends on the week. It depends on the day. But we're trying to satisfy ourselves. If, if, you, if you think about the fickleness of humanity, just think about trying to get a birthday gift for someone close to you. You ask them, you ask them at the beginning of the month, what you want? And it's one thing. You ask them at the end of the month, what you want? And it's a new thing. Like, like we change. It depends what commercials we saw that day. At first, we wanted this car, but then we saw a new commercial that looked even sweeter, so we want that car. When you're living for yourself, you will never be satisfied. You will always be running like on a hamster wheel because you're at the center of your life. We need the rock to stand on. But what Jesus is doing, he takes all of these together. And what he's ultimately saying is that anxiety is the result of misplaced worship. This is a misplaced worship because anxiety comes from the deep desire for self-preservation and self-satisfaction. What am I going to do about it? How can I control the situation? How can I make this happen? Because I really, really want it. This is where anxiety comes from. Anxiety comes from self-centered worship. The lie that we're more important than God. Just, just think about it for a moment. When you're most anxious, what are you really thinking about? When you're most anxious, are, are you really thinking about how can I make them do what I want to do? How can I get what I really want? And, 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 and self-centered worship puts yourself in the center and God is on the outside. And Jesus is asking the disciples, who are you going to worship, yourself or me? Who are you going to worship? But that's what leads to verses 25 to 34. This is what the therefore leads to. And in verses 25 to 34, Jesus announces the anxieties of life are cured through Christ-centered living. His ultimate message is, don't worry, trust in me. See, it's different than trust me. Jesus doesn't just say, just trust me. That's what we do. We say, just trust me. 
You can believe me. Just tr- How many times have you had someone fail you when they just said, just trust me? And you're like, I can't trust nobody now. But Jesus, he's not just saying, just trust me. He says, trust in me. Trust in my name. Trust in my power. Trust in my might. Trust in who I am, God, the very God of, of heaven and earth. Don't just trust in man. Trust in me. If you think this is far-fetched, don't forget who Jesus is talking to. These are people, if they, they got some real issues. Look back in, in, in Matthew, the fourth chapter, in verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. These are the type of people coming to Jesus. They got real issues. They got real troubles. They got real circumstances. If there was anyone that, that could say, well, I got a right to worry, it is these people because they had no hope. But Jesus is even saying to them, don't worry. Do not be anxious in spite of their present trouble. They, they, their, their trouble wasn't down the road. See, a lot of times we're worried about trouble down the road. We're worried about what's going to happen next week. Like, we straight right now. We got food. We got gas. We got groceries. We good. Our, our children doing good. But we worried about something next week. But these, they, they don't have the privilege of having to worry about next week. They had to worry about right now. Not only was they sick, not only was they marginalized, they, they, they would have to, to, to find out who was going to care for them. How would they get food? These were the very least of these. And, and Jesus is saying to them, don't worry. If Jesus can say to the least of these, don't worry, he surely he can say to us, don't worry. Trust in me. So that's why I want you to understand. To be, to be free from worry doesn't mean you're free from trouble. That means that Though the situation may be in your life, Jesus is saying no matter what the situation is, trust in me. It may not turn the way you want it to turn. Trust in me. It may not go the way you want it to go. Trust in me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Lord, I'm in trouble. What do I need to do? Trust in me. In spite of their present trouble, Jesus still gives them a command to obey. Notice that in 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. So what, as Christians, one of the reasons that we shouldn't be anxious is just because Jesus said, don't be anxious. That's a command. He says, don't do it. So if, if, if I'm running around anxious every day, worried about what they're going to say, what, what's going to happen, if I'm worried about I'm being disobedient to a direct command that Jesus gave me. But Jesus takes it one step further. He doesn't just say, don't be anxious. He, he, he goes to the, the very basic things in life. Those simple things, food, water, and clothing. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or or what you're going to put on. Stop worrying about just your most basic needs. It reminds me of that 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, those basic things or whatever you do, do to the glory of the Lord. Or 1 Timothy 6 and 8 where it says, "But, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Jesus is talking about the most basic things in life. And, and, and what he begins to do is, is to make this argument. If I, if I can take care of the little things, then surely I can take care of the big things. No matter what it is or, or where it comes from, I can take care of it. That's why he says, is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing, you worried about these little things. You, you, you need to be worried about your eternal security. You need to be worrying about how am I living within you. You need to be worrying about your neighbor who's about to head to hell because they have not responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. 
You worried about what shift you're going to work when Jesus wants you to shift your life into overdrive and to begin living for him. Is your life not more than, than these simple things than how much money you make? Jesus is saying there's souls at stake. What are you going to do? And he begins to, to make this argument. And he backs up this command by arguing from the lesser to the greater again. He, he talks about eating and drinking. But then he, in verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Aren't you worth more than the birds? Consider the lilies of the field, verse 28, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? If I'm able to do the little things, surely I can do the big things. Beloved, think about your own life. If, if God is able to wake you up this morning, isn't he able to see you through the day? If, if, if God is able to get you to work safely, protecting you from danger, seen and unseen, then surely he can make sure uh, what's going on on your job and the, and the office gossip won't touch you because he's in control. I was on Twitter the other day and I saw this post. It was amazing. It was this, you might have saw it because I'm sure it's gone viral. It was this, it was this young lady. She was on, on a mountain and she was, about to, she was about to ski. And she was putting her foot into the buckle and she just, she got her headphones on. She by herself, she got a selfie stick. So she puts the selfie stick down and then she, she buckles up her, 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 her boot and then she picks up her selfie stick and she starts swishing down the mountain. It's like swish. Swish and she's just singing and humming. And then and then she she turns left and all of a sudden you see a grizzly bear running behind her. She oblivious. She's just swishing down the mountain. She go to the other side and the grizzly bear still behind her. Like like that. I'm like, this is crazy. She's just swishing, not paying any attention. And then she finally gets to a part where she begins to pick up speed. And, I mean, the grizzly bear is coming for her. I mean, coming hard. And she's just swishing with her little selfie stick, selfie stick and her little headphones in her ear. And then she goes all the way down the mountain. She gets down to the mountain. She don't know nothing that happened. She takes off her, uh, takes off her gear and goes on about her business. But the, but the subtext on the tweet said, my, when we get to heaven, how, how, often, how often will we see that? God is able to keep us from danger seen and unseen. When, when, when God is taking care of you, you, you see the small things, but God is working behind the scenes to take care of the danger seen and unseen. You, you were supposed to get a pink slip, but God showed up and, and had your boss remove that off your desk. You were supposed to go to jail, but the police officer had a kind heart that particular day. You were supposed to be dead laying in your grave, but God allowed somebody to show up right at the right time to take your butt to the hospital. Danger seen and unseen. If God can take care of the small things, surely he can take care of the big things. Jesus not only backs up his argument from uh, lesser to greater, but he backs it up based upon an argument of unbelief. In verse 32, he says, let me go back to verse 30. O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's saying, you a little faith, you, you supposed to know me. You supposed to trust me, but you acting like an unbeliever. That's, that, that, that's what he was referring to, the Gentiles. The Gentiles were pagans. They... They didn't believe in Yahweh. They didn't believe in the Messiah. They had their own way of living. He's saying, when you don't trust in me and you worrying about everything, you acting like an unbeliever. You acting like you ain't even saved. 
But then Jesus backs his command to do not be anxious with a promise. In verse 33, this is where he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus is saying the way that you cure anxiety is to make him your highest priority. Seek ye first. Don't, don't seek ye second, seek ye third. Don't call everybody on the phone before you make a phone call to God. Don't go around getting everyone's opinion before you get down on your knees and talk to the Lord. He's saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek, seek God before you seek anybody else. This, 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 this is right in line with what he's saying in Matthew 22, 37. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's the first and great commandment. When we, when, when, we're, when we are battling anxiety, the key is to look to God first before you start looking at yourself. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We seek him first, and then we look for his rule and his reign to be all over our lives. The kingdom of God, this is, comes out of his prayer where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. We talked a little bit about the kingdom. The kingdom is where God is completely uh, in charge and has full authority. The kingdom is, is, is where the land of no more exists. There is no more pain, no more death, no more disease, no more issues, no more drama. He's talking about the kingdom where everybody fully and wholly obeys his word. He's talking about the kingdom where people will open up their mouth and shout, holy, 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 you are worthy to be praised. He's talking about the place where the full reign and, and rule of God is on full display. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the place where God has center stage in your heart. The place where God is, is over all and through all and for all. He's talking about the rule of God over and and obedience towards God in your own life. But not only that, the rule of God over and obedience towards God in the life of others. When anxiety comes over us, we need to pray for ourselves. But we need to be praying for the folks that are causing us anxiety sometimes, too. Quickly. So how do we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Two quick ways. We pray for it. We pray for it. We see this in verse 9 and 10 in the Our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to go before the Lord and ask, Lord, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come within my heart. May your kingdom come within my, my spouse's heart. May your kingdom come within my children's heart. May your kingdom come on my job. May your kingdom come in my school. May, may your kingdom come in my neighborhood. Lord, may your kingdom come and your rule and reign be, be seen. We, we need to pray for it. But then not only do we need to pray for it, we need to surrender to it. If we want God's kingdom to come, then we need to be good citizens of his kingdom. That means we got, we, we, we got a voice that we need to obey. We can't just act off the hook and how we want. We can't just be turned up how we want in the kingdom of God. If we're going to be good citizens, we need to say, Lord, what is your will in your kingdom? And how can I fulfill your will? See, but lastly, we, we pray for his kingdom. We surrender to his kingdom. But then when I'm looking at the text, it's, in a sense, we need to trust in his kingdom. What do I mean? Look with me in Matthew, the fourth chapter, the 17th verse. In Matthew, the fourth chapter, and 17th verse, Jesus is, is coming on the scene in his ministry. And it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay? Okay, Jesus, so, so your showing up has something to do with the kingdom. Turn with me over to Luke, the fourth chapter. Luke, the fourth chapter in the 16th verse. Jesus, he's, he's fresh 
from the wilderness and he begins to teach. And it says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the, uh, and the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That's just fancy for he dropped the mic and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to, to say to them today. This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples is they're just not looking for a place or thing to get to. They're looking at a person who has manifested the kingdom himself. Jesus is the manifestation of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You don't believe me? Well, in the kingdom, there will be no more disease. Jesus was able to walk and touch the lame and heal the blind and make the dead to, to come up out the grave. He says, I am the kingdom at present at hand repent for the kingdom is at hand if you he, he, then he goes on to say in, in the kingdom of God there will be no more thirst or no more hunger well, what did Jesus do Jesus sits down with five fish and two loaves and begins to multiply I'm showing everybody that the kingdom is coming because in my kingdom I ain't gonna be no hungry folk on all those dusty streets of Galilee, Jesus shows up and he begins to cast out demon-possessed folks saying that you are under my authority now. You have no rule or reign. When we see Jesus Christ moving in the gospel, we see the kingdom of God. So we don't just pray for the kingdom to come. We don't just surrender to the kingdom to come. We trust in the kingdom to come. Christ Jesus. If Jesus was able to deliver from demons on the dusty roads of Galilee, Jesus can deliver on the paved roads of Petersburg. If Jesus was able to heal on, on, at the Sea of Galilee, then Jesus is able to heal at Norton's 217. If Jesus was able to, to move and to heal and to bring deliverance and, and reducing folks' anxiety back then, that same God who ruled and reigned back then is the same God who is ruling and reigning right now. The king's ultimate cure for anxiety is Christ-centered worship. You know, I started this sermon with John 16, He says, you will have tribulation. See, but I didn't finish it. Because the rest of it says, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. See, what Jesus is trying to help us understand through the Gospels is that the great overcomer, even can overcome your anxiety. The great overcomer is to overcome every situation and circumstance. The great overcomer is able to give you that peace that surpasses all understanding because he has overcome the world. Not just this physical place, but all issues in between. You got an issue? What's your issue today? Jesus has overcome it. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. How do I apply this today? Apply this text to your life today by repenting for being disobedient to God's command to not be anxious. We need to repent. It is sinful to be anxious to the point that it just causes us so much worry. That is a lack of trust. And Jesus says, do not be anxious. There's a difference between paying attention and being concerned about what needs to happen. But you know how we do. We can't even go to sleep at night. Our mind just spinning. We thinking about what they're going to say, how they're going to say it, and what I'm going to say back to them. We need to repent, Lord. I'm sorry for being anxious and not obeying you. I'm preaching to myself today. 
there's so many worries, so many issues of life that, that go through my mind. And, and I have to pause and say, Lord, you got this. Lord, this, this is your family. Lord, this, this is your church. This ain't even my church. Why am I worrying about it like I do? This is your church. Lord, this is your job, and this is your school, and, and, and I just had to repent. Lord, just forgive me. I'm sorry for not trusting you like I should. Not only do we need to repent, we need to remember. We need to remember what thus saith the Lord. We need to take the word of God and put it in our hearts so when we come up to those situations that bring us anxiety, we can begin to quote the voice of Jesus over the situation. Psalms 94, 19 says, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. You know what he's saying? He's saying, when I got issues, I just start quoting scripture. I just start believing what Jesus said. I just start, just start saying, hey, if, if God is for me, who can be against me? He says, I, I won't be anxious about anything, but, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I'm not worried about it because God got me. I need to remember God's word, but then lastly, I need to receive rest. I need to actually believe God. There's a difference between saying I believe God and actually believing God. Where I'm able to step out on faith like, Lord, I don't understand. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't control it. I can't do nothing, but you got it. It may not turn in my favor. I may want to go right, but it's going left. But, Lord, you got it. And you told me, do not be anxious. And, Lord, I'm just going to obey you. Folks may call me a fool. They, say, maybe say, they might say I look stupid. But if you say do not be anxious, I believe that I don't have to be anxious, but I'm just going to seek you first. I'm going to make you the center of my life. I'm going to make you the center of my joy, and I'm going to make you the center of my all in all. And we may need to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because before the kingdom can even come in your heart, you need to be a citizen. And the way that we come to know Jesus Christ as Savior is by simply saying, Lord, I'm sorry for living how I want to live. Would you please forgive me? Please save me. And please keep me. We need to repent, to remember, but you may need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for your word, for the freedom we have in and through Christ Jesus. Father, I pray for the one who is dealing with a whole lot of worry, issues, and anxiety. Father, please give us the courage to cast our cares upon you, to genuinely trust you with the matter, that we may have a mind that's regulated and doing what you would have us to do in the midst of the situation. Father, right now I ask that one would receive you as Lord and Savior today, that they would turn from living for themselves a self-centered life that they would turn to live for you, a Christ-centered life. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises upon which we can stand. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. How should you respond today? Every time we hear the word of God preached, there's, there's something to respond to. Do I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ? Do I need to ask for his forgiveness? Do I need to come along someone else and encourage them? But beloved, how should you respond today? You may respond by Trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can come down and talk to one of the deacons, one of the young men, and we can show you from Scripture what must you do to be saved. 
You may need to respond by repenting. And you may want someone to pray with you and for you, then you can come. Talk to one of our deacons, one of our young men. Or maybe there's a situation, circumstance in your life that you just want prayer for. You can come. Or maybe the Lord is calling you to respond by surrendering your life to covenant fellowship with those here at Forest Baptist Church. So whether you need a salvation, prayer, or church membership, you can come down to the front as we all stand to sing our closing song. May we all stand.
downtime for the to bring our office and our and, and our, uh, our offerings and our gifts to the Lord. Amen. So let us pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Another day of all you men a blessing. We thank you, Lord, that we serve a God who's still in the blessing business. Lord, we ask that you bless those that have it have to give. We ask that you bless those that have not to give, Lord, for whatever reason. Lord, we ask these things and all things in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ. Amen. At this time, we'd like for everyone, please stand. We started to rear the church. <laughs> 